0: now you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want today is a brand new day and it's yours
1: welcome to the true performance show by Ziegler. every positive pursuit in life every progression of personal development change is fueled by one thing inspiration it's the drive and the hunger that propels every good endeavor Without it, we merely have a dream, but never actually move. With it, we can actually overcome insurmountable odds to achieve our desires, convictions, and calling. In this show, we come together to drill down into what really makes success tick and how we can apply it to our unique personal and work lives. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and right now, we're going to inspire your true performance. Hey everyone, this is Kevin Miller. Today we have episode number 405. In this show, Tom Ziegler and I have an incredible discussion with John O'Leary. John was burned on 100% of his body at the age of nine, mostly third degree burns. He should have died right away. He did not, and the reason why is significant. I mean, we get a lot of requests from people wanting to be on this show. I watched about 30 seconds of a video of John presenting to an audience and immediately invited him on here. I mean, we want the best and in inspiration, and the guy is just flat-out inspiring. His story is amazing, and yet it's also our story. I mean, we have things happen to us to different degrees, and we make choices. And John's story in this will um, it'll will set you back a little bit and spring you forward as well, I think. It did for me. Uh, what's well, so a quick bio on John. If you do not know of him, though, so many people do. He's kind of taken the world by storm since his book on fire has come out. And you can find that at John O'Leary com.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear. Check breakfast, lunch and dinner. Check Planning for what's next and how to say for it. That's where Bank of America can help for your financial to do's. Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on Logistics Insights at maersk.com slash insights. And uh, or wherever you buy books as well. But here's his bio real quick. John survived months in a hospital bed, dozens of surgeries, years of therapy. For more than two decades, John kept his story quiet and his scars covered, but a turning point in his business and life came when he finally embraced the scars as a gift. Okay, folks, uh, just to insert right there, I actually talk, asked John about that specific story right there, that he didn't just have this thing happen to him and he quickly overcame it and everything was shining. Uh, 20 or two decades, he said, where he was quiet and then what did happen that made him then Come away from that, but he realized his his tragedy came from some of the greatest gifts in his life: character, faith. That uh, that the, the tragedy gave him these these things: character, faith, network, passion, gratitude. All gifts born from the fire. He now travels the world, encouraging others to wake up from accidental living and live up to the fullness of their promise. As a boy in the hospital bed, John could not have foreseen the amazing things he would accomplish, but his journey proved more empowering and rewarding than he could have ever imagined. It gave him strength. It fueled and drove him on. It provided hope. It taught him compassion and understanding and gave him a solid foundation for living. Today, John is a national bestselling author, international speaker, active volunteer, and proud family man. John married his college sweetheart, Beth, 13 years ago. They have four beautiful, rambunctious children, uh, an active faith life, and they live in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, so again, you can find all you want about John at uh, com, And some of the things right there in his bio I pulled out and just uh, drilled into with him, uh, even the point of he was asked You know, if he had it all over, you know, all this, all this inspiration, everything he does comes from this tragedy. If he had to do it over again, would he? And he says, yes, it was a little bit hard, honestly, for me to swallow. And again, we talk about it in the show. Um, and he is incredibly inspiring. I really would, uh, counsel you go get his book on fire. It's, uh, it's significant. Hey, today's show is brought to you in part by designcrowd.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-C-R-O-W-D.com. Design Crowd is a website that helps entrepreneurs and small business owners outsource or crowdsource custom graphics, logos, and web design from designers around the world. Design crowd has more than 500,000 designers from over a hundred countries ready to help you with any creative and design projects you might have. So again, check out design crowd. That's dot com to learn more and get started, uh, or go to designcrowdcom com slash Ziegler, and you will get a special VIP offer for our listeners. Before I bring you John, I want to read a testimonial that he wrote to me uh, about Ziegler. He said, Zig Ziegler's book, See You at the Top, I practically wore this book out in the early stages of transitioning from one business, real estate development, to another, speaking and writing. It was incredibly and positively influential. It changed me as a leader a man, a goal setter, and a business owner. Love that testimonial. And folks, if you want your own copy of See You at the Top, Zig's best all-time selling book, go to zigler.com. If you want to engage more deeply with the message of that book and the complete message of success that is Zigler, I encourage you to visit ziglercom slash live to win where Tom Ziegler hosts live webinars with live Q&A and people actually engage on these topics and issues. Again, it's Ziegler.com slash live to win. Okay, then folks, here is the amazing, inspiring, and just truly convicting discussion that Tom Ziegler and I had with John O'Leary. So, John, we get a lot of interview requests for The Ziggler Show, lots of PR companies and publicists. And you know, our show, as you know, is different. I mean, great product services ideas, those are great, but they're not necessarily the focus here. There's lots of shows that uh, highlight those. We want the best in inspiration and motivation, Mm -hmm. the the fuel that everything runs on. And uh, as you know, without fuel, uh, even a Ferrari is useless. So when I was contacted about you, I took my usual, you know, cursory look and hit your video and replied back, I think in about 60 seconds with, absolutely, when can we get you on here? (laughs) I mean, the story's compelling, you're compelling. So just thank you so much for giving yourself to the Ziggler audience today.
3: Kevin, I'm a huge fan and uh, delighted to be on your podcast.
1: Well, I I had I'll tell you again last night, um, i and I'm right away. I've got so many things we could we could do a two hour show here, but we'll try to curtail it. But uh, so so much it was relevant. I've got an older son who's had some medical issues, not to the extent of yours, but he is going to be uh, stoked. He just got back from college last night for the summer, so his first. Chore at home because you know he's got to hit that again now. Is he's going to read your book and it's going to inspire the fire out of him? So that book, uh, with the tagline, "The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life." I mean, you had, as I read about you and your history, John. You had your massive tragedy as a kid at age nine. You fought to live but you didn't hit the inspiration and motivational trail at 10. You said you spent eight months in bandages. Then you spent the next 20 years in self-imposed bandages. So I'm wondering what finally ignited you.
3: Gosh. So, uh, first of all, again, delighted to be on your show. One thing I think every one of your listeners knows, but maybe doesn't always articulate is that everyone has a story. It's just usually not the story we are telling the world. And so, yeah, I I had a wild story at age nine. It was the kind of story, though, that rather than embracing and celebrating and telling the world all about it, instead I went in the direction I think many of us run toward, which is to hide from it which is to cover it up, mask over it, put on makeup, apply busyness, apply whatever else you want to strive toward. Mm. And that's what I did for the majority of my life. I, I lost my fingers as a child to the fire. I, it got scarred from my, my neck to my toes. And so the last thing that I wanted to do was to proclaim that this was beauty because I never thought it was. What changed me and what fueled my motivation and inspiration was reading my mom and dad's book when I was 27 years old. Oh. Uh, Oh, 18 years almost after being burned, they realize, uh, while sitting actually in, in a church watching me get married, that this tragedy that they had endured when they were young parents was actually triumphant. That it doesn't end in dire death or despair, but it ends on an altar. And it ends with a gorgeous brunette walking down toward me. And it, it ends in the sunshine. It took them 20 years almost to realize that. They write a book. They print 100 copies. I begged, them not to do it. I thought no one would be interested. It turns out they sell not 100 or 200. They've sold over 70,000 subsequently, which is really big for a, a little mom and dad to do out of their garage. One of the copies they sold was to your guest today. So John O'Leary gets to buy his own book for 10 bucks or whatever the cost was. <laughs> and, and in that investment... And in those three hours in front of my mom and dad's words and in front of my own picture, I'm going to imagine an unauthorized biography of your life being written by the people who know you best. I, I realized for the first time that the tragedy and the scars were far from it. It was triumphant. It was beautiful. It was redemptive. And it in turn leads to the best of my life. I just never took the time to realize it.
1: So I read that in your book about you reading your mom and dad's books and and realizing that what you went through, how it impacted each member of your family. I didn't know that that was the catalyst that brought you uh, from where you were with those self-imposed bandages, as you talk about, to the trail you're on now, So that was that, uh, as, as uh, Donald Miller would say, the inciting incident. And you call yes. it the inflection point, right?
3: Yes, same idea. But I think the inciting incident or the inflection point, these radical experiences in our lives aren't always radical. It's not always the diagnosis. It's not always on the, on the altar or the stage or in the job interview that we experience these inflection points. It's momentary, day by day living that, in reality, if we are open to it, turn out to be the greatest inflection points of our lives. These are the moments, the opportunities that can lead us down one path or down another. And they not only lead us down these paths; they they lead those in our shadows. They lead those in our light. They are the opportunities in front of us each day to wake up from accidental living and the ability to transform the lives of those around us. They're gifts. But we got to be open to it and we have to be bold enough to open them when they arrive.
1: Accidental Living. Um, I'm, I'm writing that down. That'd be another, maybe that should be your next book, uh, is our <laughs> cultural tendency. I, I like that. It, it, it's great. And in these interviews, we often get what I think is a, a few books out of each one of them. People need to go I write these things. Well, so you say, as a lead off in your book and your message, you can't always choose the path you walk in life, but you can always choose the manner in which you walk it. Uh, we had Seth Godin on not long ago, and he told that story we've all heard—a made-up story, I think, of you know two guys who go from a shoe company to sell shoes in some far-off land. The uh, first guy comes back, says, "Complete disaster, no opportunity <laughs> here. Nobody wears shoes." The other guy says, "This is the greatest opportunity ever. Yes. Nobody has shoes." And and so diving in here first, you know, I mean, I've heard the question asked before. You know, what's the difference between someone who overcomes a tragedy or a trial like you did? as opposed to the person and so many people who are overwhelmed by it but that feels like that, that is framing it that way feels like it's a luck of the draw by what they have inside of them instead i wanted to ask you uh, for all those who have been a victim to a tragedy a trial a lack what can they do now yes. to overcome instead of being overwhelmed where do they start now
3: yeah so it's a, it's an awesome question kevin and i think everybody's been through tragedies not uh, certainly not a whole lot of your followers have been burned on 100% of their body. You know, this, this is a most unusual story. I get that. But there is no doubt that we have been stuck in TSA and missed our flights, that we have been through challenges and relationships, that we have lost family members and dear friends and have endured broken relationships, that things we strive to achieve professionally or financially have not come to pass. We, we've all of us been burned, all of us. So now what? Okay. I mean, I think it's really important we start there. So now what? Because the reality is we've been there. So now what? I I would encourage your listeners and me and all of us to choose how they ask three questions each day. The the first three questions that I'm very mindful of these, these are called the victim's questions. (laughs) They lead us down one path that will allow us to see everything as negative. The fires, the divorce, the struggles, the bankruptcy, all the things we deal with. The three questions I think victims love to ask. Number one, the great victim's question. Why me? Oh, man, why did I get blown up in the garage? Why did I go through that struggle? Why did I miss my flight? Why me? The second question when we love to be over on that side of the uh, the aisle, we ask is, well, geez, who cares? Now that it happened, geez, who cares? It's the question of indifference. Who cares? And that leads us down the third and the final path. It's the final nail in our confidence. I guarantee it. What more can I do? I'm just one. This thing has happened. There's nothing left for me to do now that it has gone on. And instead, I would encourage me, because i got to talk to myself first. I'm not preaching. I'm talking to myself. And we happen to be listening, you, Kevin, and all the other followers out there, to ask three radically different questions. I think these are questions that will transform not only our lives and our work and our finances and our relationships, but everybody who comes into contact with us. Victor's questions, three questions. The first one we ask every morning as the sun rises in the east is, why me? Why am I so lucky? Why am I so blessed? Why do I get to do this work and this relationship and this opportunity in front of me at the freest, wealthiest period in the history of civilization? I mean, th- this is radical. And maybe today I'm going to w- open my eyes to actually see it in front of me. Why me? I am lucky I choose to act like it, which allows us to jump out of bed, which allows us to race off to that hot shower. I mean, ha- Have you ever thought about how complex it is that you have hot running water every morning that you reach for the handle? It freaks me out. It is a gift. It is a blessing. And now that you know it, you get to uncross your arms and ask the question, who cares if it's hard, if there are challenges? If I have some difficulty, if I've been burned, if it's not perfect every day for me, who cares, man? I'm on mission. I know what my life is about. I have goals in front of me. I'm on fire for it, which allows us to race through the challenges and the tragedies and the triumphs of the days. Ultimately, asking the third and the final question, I hope your listeners sense where this may go. Gosh, what more can I do? What more can I do to ensure? I think incremental change is powerful. What more can I do to ensure that tomorrow is even better than today? Not, not to sustain, not to endure, not to get through and dog paddle through life. But what more can I do? I love the words you used earlier, to wake up from accidental living and to ensure that tomorrow is even better than today.
0: Well, I love that. You made me flash back, and I, I've told this story before, but... In Dad's final couple of years on this earth, he was struggling. He had physical challenges. He had had a fall and lost a short-term memory, and then he had Alzheimer's. And I would pick him up from where he lived, and I would bring him to the office at for 7.30 devotions every Monday morning at the office. So I pick him up. It's a bright day. The, the sun is glaring, and I look at Dad in the passenger seat, and I just go – how could this happen? I mean, yeah. here's a man who's probably poured more of his life into the world than anybody I've ever met. Strangers, friends, it didn't matter. It was the same. It was 100%. How could this happen to me? I remember mm-hmm. driving down the road, and at that very instant, Dad just started shaking his head from left to right. He made this sound, mm <laughs> And he starts tapping the dashboard, and he looks at me, And he said, son, can you believe how much we've got to be grateful for? And then he started going down the list. (laughs) And I'm thinking, don't you see what's going on? And then I realized he did see what was going on, and he made the choice to make it work, to make what he could. Dad's mentor said this. He said, uh, his name is Fred Smith. He said, you know. When, when things happen to us and we have an issue, we have to decide if it's a fact or a problem. Yes. <laughs> Facts we deal with, we accept. Problems we can do something about, right? And I'm sure it takes you a little longer to get ready than, than somebody who's, right? Yeah, of course. That's a fact. But it's a problem you can overcome. I mean, it's just a choice. It's a decision. It's an attitude. It's no big deal. Well, so you, right,
1: page nine in your book, again, uh, that I'm pouring over again last night, uh, from front to back page nine, you say own your life, fight for it. It's your choice. So it feels like no matter what you're trying to take away anyone's excuse for anything. I mean, is that at the core a primary battle cry?
3: Oh, Kevin. So, and I, by the way, everything I share, I learn also from the people that I got to look up to in life, pastors and priests and rabbis and parents, guardians, siblings, Zig Ziglar and a whole lot of other folks that I looked up to as well. But maybe one of the most influential leaders in my life was my mom. And I I remember coming in from the hospital, into the hospital. I would not seen my family yet. I've been burned on my entire body. I'm dying. And my mom walks in. She takes my right hand in hers, pats my bald head. She looks me in the eyes and she says, I love you, baby. I just love you. And I remember looking up at my mom and I said to her, mama, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? And in asking that, I knew her answer back to me was going to be, baby, you are fine, honey. You are fine, sugar. We're going to get you out here today. That's what I thought she would say. But instead, Kevin, she looked back at me and she said, baby, look at me when I'm talking to you. Do you want to die? It's your choice. It's not mine. And I remember saying, Mama, I do not want to die. I want to live. And her response was, good, then. Look at me, honey. You take the hand of God. You walk the journey with him. But you fight like you have never, ever fought before. And, and on the day I was burned, that great lady reminded me of the power of choice and the, the power of owning your life in spite of the challenges you face. She taught me that day not to die. And then I think a lesson she taught me five months later was equally as important. I've just come through surgery after surgery. I finally come home from the hospital. It's our first evening back in this house as a family. She made my favorite meal, it's in front of me on the table. The only problem that evening is I don't have hands to eat it. I don't have fingers to grab that fork. And my favorite sister, her name is Amy. I know she's listening right now. Amy grabs my fork. She scoops up potatoes. She brings it toward my mouth. And right before the plane enters the hangar, right, right before the food goes into my mouth, my mother looks at my sister this time and she says, Amy, you drop that fork. If he's hungry, he'll feed himself. Uh, th- that night, my mom ruined my dinner. Uh, she, she eventually would lead me to flipping over my plate because I was so frustrated. But by the end of the night, through anger and tears and certainly a ruined family gathering, a little boy, still scarred and still broken and still in a wheelchair, had figured out, out a way to put a fork between his two hands, scoop a couple potatoes, bring it toward my mouth, look with hate toward my mom. Mm-hmm. But she taught me how to eat. In other words, and I don't think that this is trite, she taught me how to live. On day one, she taught me not to die. But then just as important, when I came home from the hospital, she taught me how to really live. And these are choices in front of us every day. But we have to have eyes and hands and hearts to see it.
1: Okay, you stole my note cards because that was really where I was going to dive in there. That story, John, I, I, I'm a dad to seven kids. Um, And as I said, my oldest has gone through some significant uh, trials. That story, I'm going to have to deal with that story. Uh, I'm going to talk to my, literally, seriously, I'm going to talk to my wife about that, that story because it troubles me because I have to admit that even hearing that my first tendency, even thinking about it would have been to say, you know, Hey buddy, okay, we'll take care of you tonight and maybe tomorrow, but you are going to have to learn to eat. We're not going to enable you because enabling is a big issue for me, but for her to do it and you even admit right there, you, you hated her, but she taught you that, uh, Troubles, convicts. I, I got to deal. Yes. I'm going to deal with that. Literally, I'm going I'm to go. I've got kids from 20, almost 21, down to six, and because it feeds into one of my other questions is when we go through things, we, as parents, we've talked about this in other shows. We tend to try to make things better for our own kids, and yet it's that strength that we got through the hardship that made us what we are today. How do we juggle with that with our yes. kids? And not that this is a parenting focused show. But as we look at that, I think it's relevant to so many people. So I'll put that before you. How has that impacted your own uh, parenting and how you want to, as Andy Andrews told us, not raise great kids, but raise good adults?
3: Mm. Well, I think, you know, people always are striving to be great leaders, but I think we got to start at home. And so I think this is a parenting show. We don't have to put the tagline parenting for tomorrow's future or whatever on the front of it, but this is a parenting show. It's a leadership show. Let's figure out how to do our life better so that we can lead those we love more effectively. Part of that is what we do at home. My mom ruins not only my first night at home. It was a Saturday. The following Tuesday, the piano teacher shows up. I I, I never liked piano, man. I hated piano as a kid. So I figured, thank you, Lord. I finally don't have to take piano anymore. (laughs) What a gift, man. At least one good thing came out of the fire. Well, Mrs. Bartello is in the room. She's guiding, I'm one of six, all the other kids through their piano lessons. Thank heavens I'm in a wheelchair. I don't have to mess with it. And then near the end of it, my mom comes in. She takes the brakes off my chair. She rolls me in, and my thought is, what are you doing, mom? I don't even have fingers anymore. I can't play the piano. It, It was the most useless exercise for a little boy with bandaged hands to play the piano. And yet today, almost three decades later, that little boy, now a man, now a father of four, loves to play the piano, man. And I rock out anything from typical church fair like Amazing Grace to Imagine Dragons, man. you, You pick the song, I can play it, not because I'm great, but because my mom was an incredible leader. So I I credit her with why I look people in the eye when I shake their hands. It's why I I strive to do great things for others in life. It's why I play the piano and can pick up a fork. And so if you ask me how has this influenced the way I I lead my own life or my own kids today, uh, hopefully profoundly, things that are worthy are not easy. And if you want to help your child succeed, don't carry them over the finish line trip your way and crawl your way forward with them. And I think it's the most effective way for not only them to finish strong, but for us to see examples in their life and in ours of what real heroism, what real leadership looks like.
1: Okay. This is for my kids, Miller kids. You heard it. He said it. It wasn't me. All right. So there you go. There's, there's the premise right there. And I got two boys, uh, ages 10 and 11 reluctantly playing, especially one playing piano. So there you go, guys, <clears throat> you're stuck with it for life right there. Um, let me
3: just say one more thing, because I, I get some negative blowback to this. I, get a, we, I wrote about it one time on our blog, and a lot of people wrote in saying how cruel your mother is. How cruel – I mean, how could you not at least let one night of celebration?
1: I, I, I understand that. Man, totally. Yeah.
3: And so do I. And I understood it as a kid, and I, I wrestled with it as a man. But – Let's, let's own the fact that she'd been with me every step along the way in the hospital for five months, and she would be the one shepherding me forward for the next couple years at home, and she is still with me today. In, in fact, uh, she's the one I had breakfast with this morning. We had a wonderful two-hour breakfast together. I never get two hours face-to-face with, with, with my mom. That day broke her heart at home when she made me eat. And yet she knew sometimes the short-term pain leads to long-term results, man. It's not always easy. It's not always sexy. It's certainly not always popular. But if this is done in great love, it will change not only our life and our heart, but also the lives and the hearts of those we serve with that kind of love.
1: Uh, yeah, again, man, I I think you're, I assume many of the listeners like myself are going to have to grapple with that as parents. And then the next step of that though, is okay for us, for, for me sitting right here, I'm 45 years old. I am no longer parented uh, by anyone, even though my wife may feel like she has to sometimes, but I'm technically not. We're on our own. We're fully responsible for ourselves now. So some have been coddled and protected and enabled they don't have the uh, blessing of pain that you do to have gone through a trial that they had to overcome or not, but gain the strength from that. They are where they are now and they were not given a lot to strengthen them. Where do they start now? I mean, from a biblical standpoint, we talk about that, you know, God help me through the trial. That's where I call to you. That's where I get strengthened though. None of us wake up in the morning and say, God, please make today suck. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But we benefit from it. So where do we, where do we go? Where do those who are out there saying, nah, I was enabled. What do I do about it? How do I, how do I become strong now?
3: Perfect. So I, I think it begins with us realizing how fortunate we are. I, I think in first world nations, I would imagine most of your listeners are in one of those first world nations. I find that we are grateful for the least. And then you travel somewhere overseas, you go serve somewhere on a mission and you realize these folks that have nothing and a dude, nothing are grateful for everything. So let's wake up to that truth first and let's then take the next step of, okay, so what do we do about it in the lives that we currently have? There's a concept called falsifying trauma which is a really cool idea, and it comes actually from forest fires. When when there are terrific fires, like there are raging right now in Canada, oftentimes they'll try to replant trees. So rather than wait for nature to do its thing, they'll come in and they'll plant year- and two-year-old trees in the hopes of quickly spurring growth. And what they find is almost every one of those trees they plant die. So they ask themselves, why, man? There's nothing to take their water source. There's There's no other high vegetation that's taking their sunshine. Why are these things dying? And they realize it's because they've been coddled. They've grown up in a greenhouse where everything was perfect for them. So these same arborists and researchers then changed the way these things grew. Which means they would fake tragedy in the greenhouse. They would flood in sunlight. So it became so hot, these things would almost burn out. Then they would create shade. So there was no sunlight. So they would almost die without the, the sun. They would flood it with water. Then they would take away the water. Then those that survived, they would take from the greenhouse, plant them. And the vast majority, over 80%, survive. Falsifying trauma. It's this idea of putting yourselves in situations that aren't easy. You're not setting yourself up to succeed. And yet when you fall flat, and you will fall flat on occasion, you are free to pick yourself up, learn the lessons, and do life better afterwards. So how do you falsify falsify trauma? Uh, Maybe for some of us it's running a marathon. Mm -hmm. Maybe for some of us it's serving in the mission field. Maybe it's reading things that are above your, your pay grade. Maybe it's raising your hands at work when you're not qualified yet to do it. It's putting yourself out there in areas that will force you to stretch, force you to grow, force you sometimes to fail and fall, force you to learn from that, and then to do even better afterwards.
1: That's actionable steps, folks. I mean, hearing that, that that's significant because that is a question I think that comes up here as we do so many interviews with incredible people like you, John, that they so often have that story of overcoming something, and yet we have a culture who less and less has had to. Like you said, we're in such a, we're the wealthiest time uh, of uh, ever. I, I am going to have to do that with my own. Looking at my own <laughs> kids, I mean, I've got it. Uh, we're going to have to do that because we don't have to. We can give them anything they want to uh, right. th- that we want to. Um, yeah, Tom. I mean, y- you're you're a product of this, just like I am.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm just sitting here going, you know, I, I just made a connection I hadn't made before, and. People talk about how do you get a breakthrough in life? Well, you do something extremely difficult and it gives you the self-confidence to go to the next level. Well, that's good. But this falsifying trauma concept of, hey, we do something difficult so that when the difficulty does come, we can survive the fire, we can survive the flood, we can survive the shade. Whatever it is that comes, we do the hard things. So that we can get in that position and it's, you know, going back to Andy Andrews episode when he talked about the greatest generation, you know, we think it's the World War II generation.
2: But most air fresheners and candles release dangerous chemicals into the air and water-based essential oil diffusers can diffuse harmful contaminants in your water and into the air you breathe. Aroma True is the state-of-the-art waterless atomizing diffuser that transforms essential oils into a fine mist without the need for water, which means no more sticky messes and worries about mold or bacteria. Aroma True's innovative design efficiently disperses up to four oils at a time, allowing you to create your own custom fragrance blends with just a touch of a button. Aroma True also provides sustainably produced USDA certified organic or wildcrafted essential oils. so you're breathing in only the purest and highest quality fragrances. That's what I want in my house. So you can sign up for Aroma True's Insider Club and today you'll receive a free waterless oil diffuser and a free lemon eucalyptus oil. That's over 200 bucks in savings. So go to aromatrueorganics.com/kevin to take advantage of this exclusive offer. That's A-R-O. O M A T R U O R G A N I C S dot com forward slash K E V I N. You can join Aroma Trues Insider Club and scent your home organically. The only reason we're able to put out five shows a week on the What Drives You podcast is we created a workflow and we complete a process. If you run an e-commerce business that ships products, there's a state-of-the-art process you can use to save a ton of time and resources. ShipStation. They're the shipping solution that integrates wherever you sell online and streamlines your workflow so your business can grow. We ran a supplement business for a while. I had one of my kids go sign up for ShipStation and boom, it was done. They said it was really simple, which I found out when they went on a trip and I had to step in for a few days. The ShipStation dashboard is really easy to use and I realized how much of a Discount they get up to 89% off UPS, DHL Express, and USPS rates. So you can work less, ship more with ShipStation. It's the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to shipstation.com, use the code Kevin to sign up for a free 60 day trial. That's shipstation.com, code Kevin.
0: They're not the greatest generation their parents were the greatest generation. Mm -hmm. And what did they do to those kids during the great depression? They made them survive the the trauma because I had no choice, right? They prepared them to become the greatest uh, generation by raising them with, Hey, all we got to each other, let's go work.
1: Yeah, right on. Absolutely. Well, so I want to hit on your Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life, which, folks, I'm not going to give you the details because you got to go get the book at John (laughs) O'Leary Inspires or anywhere else. But again, John O'Leary Inspires, that's where you can get it. Go there. But I do want to hit and just ask... And this is my personal tact because it's what I care about in making sure people have the best chance, myself included, to digest a truth, is to ask some of the hard questions around it. And so on these ones, I want to do that a little bit, just explore them a little bit. So number one, you start off with accountability. You say it ignites within us the power to surrender to things we just can't change fight for the things we can and celebrate each moment on the journey going forward. I want to hear some more from you because I mean, most people, uh, the majority have a job with an employer and coworkers and there's accountability, uh, deadlines and things that you have to, uh, you have accountability there, you know, as spouses and parents, we have accountability from our, our spouse and, and kids, but in our personal desires and endeavors, our callings, those secret desires, those dreams, we have no accountability. And I'm wondering where your perspective on how people can gain and enact accountability in their in their striving. How do they do that?
3: Yeah. So, let me share this first. Nothing I share or write uh is mine. I think everything that we have out there—it has already been. It's all already under the sun, and it's been under the sun for millennia. So let's begin with uh, This is not O'Leary's bright idea. These are things that I've learned along the way that I'm trying to teach myself, my family, my babies, and those that I get to speak to in the community. So I, I'm a I'm a practitioner of this, not not the guy who made up the book. So I'll be, I'll begin with that fact, Kevin. But but as far as how do you get accountability, man? We don't do life well by ourselves. If you go back through almost every mass shooting, go ahead and grab the headlines, man. Google it right now. Have fun with it. What almost every descriptor of the shooting will be is this. Uh, He, or sometimes she, was kind of a lone wolf. They kind of stayed to themselves. They did their own thing. They kind of hung out in the shadows. They did their own thing in life. We are not intended to do work, to do faith, to do life, to do exercise, to do relationship by ourselves. You're not intended to do it. So don't try. Don't try to be that, that ninja in the night that hangs out by yourself and gets it all done. You're not that good. No offense. None of us are. So when you are trying to build a life that is worthy, that is truly something of significance, find someone that you can look up to. Find someone you can share it with. And find someone that can call out your bowl when you don't show up. I, I think the reason, <laughs> the reason why if you have someone you run with in the morning, why you are there at 5.30 is because you know if you're not there, she's going to be waiting for you by yourself, By herself. And that you can't let someone down. The, the reason AA is one of the great leadership organizations of all time, Alcoholics Anonymous. Why does it work, man? It's not just the 12 steps, it's not just their belief in a higher power, it's not just those things. It's because you walk into a basement of a big old church, you go down, you grab your coffee, you sit in a circle, you look around, and you realize, dang, I'm not on my own. I'm not on my own anymore. So my first encouragement to those of us doing life is don't do it by yourself. Realize the great gift that is your life. Step up to the potential within your life, but don't try to do it all by yourself.
1: And you're, yeah, you're echoing so many of the, I, I recently read a book on the blue zones, the places in the world where the healthiest people reside. They live the longest, they live the most vibrantly, right. a lot of great things in there. But what was really culminated by the author, whose name escapes me right now, is the best, if you want to be that, if you want to live uh, and be at your healthiest longevity, quality, get in a community that fosters that. Number right. one, number one value, which is what you're telling us here, Tom.
0: I was just going to say, even even the scientists, the biologists will say that we are wired for connection. I mean, every part of our being screams out for relationship. Uh, the Harvard 75-year grant study said that people in their 90s uh, that they followed who were happy and satisfied with their life, their number one goal in life was relationships. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. Uh, the way we are created is for relationships. Even our whole free enterprise system is relationships. I mean, think about it. If you want to go lone wolf and do everything yourself on the farm, dig your own wealth, you know, raise your cattle, grow the corn, you're going to do all of it very, very mediocre at best. As soon as you specialize and become the best in whatever your gift is, you explode in potential, but you can't do it unless somebody brings the water, provides the feed, does all the other stuff. In other words, even our economy depends on relationships.
1: Right. Yeah. It's interesting when you see, I was thinking just of some of the epic movies and they so often have this somewhat of a rock star, but the lone wolf who's out on their own. And then of course the culmination and the beauty of the movie is they get with a community, they get with relationships and, and the, the song goes off into the sunset. All right. with self acceptance here. This is another one that I think is, well, you know, better than I do, but it's, it's a hard one. You say you call people to accept their stories and scars, even celebrate them. And I know some folks in my own personal life that have a really hard time with that statement alone would be bitter to them. And accepting the hardships that have befallen them, and yeah. you're saying, understand them, uh, they can give you strength. But that, so we got again another choice, another perspective. But to just put it on the table there and saying, okay, th- I am so hurt by whatever, I, I am direly. Uh, hurt, and we of course have some of the most shameful atrocities ever that we have people in our own lives that that have encountered. To take that from weak to strong, it mm. seems hard. It's just, it's just a decision, but I mean, it's a big one. It's a huge one. It's life altering. Give us some. Give us some. Give us something on that.
3: Yeah. So I I guess I would take it from two different standpoints. Number one, for those of us who have had babies, whether we have done the pushing or been lucky enough to be in the room while someone stronger and better than we were uh, were the amen. ones pushing yeah. you find as you're watching that little chart as it sits next to the bed and it, it just kind of does the up and down up and up up and down and then all of a sudden when the pain is approaching you can see it before the pain even shows up it starts going up 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 to the right and you're like oh dang here comes the contraction here it comes baby it's gonna hurt and as it gets to the highest point the leader of the room who knows the best knows the most will say to the mom okay push Push. And it always strikes me as unusual. Here's, from what I understand, the most painful physical experience in a woman's life. And at the worst point in it, the expert is saying, oh, good. Here comes a good one. It's big, baby. Push. I think when we look back on our child deliveries or the struggles in life, we also realize that from the greatest pain in life came always, not sometimes, always the greatest growth. there's something to that. In in the darkest moments in life, when we were at the end of the rope in real time, if you can hang on and get through it and then look back with a decade or two or three or 10 with experience, you realize, gosh, during that darkest time in reality, that's when my character was growing. That's when I was leaning into my faith. That's when I was doing things that I would never have done otherwise. That's when I was doing my best during the dark days. And so I think it's really important to start with that. These are things that actually serve our best interest. We just don't know it in real time. And the second thing is when we are bold enough to embrace them, to pull them out of the closet, to Mm -hmm. rip off the bandages and to quit masking up around it, when we're frank enough to share it with those around us, not out of ego but out of love, we will frequently hear back the response from the people we share it with. Oh, my gosh. You too. (laughs) Like, holy crap. Holy cow. Yeah, I wasn't burned, but my gosh, my first marriage, you got to hear what happened. It's just like that. And they're not at all like each other. And yet they're, they're full of brokenness. They're full of scar tissue. They're full of woundedness. And in time, they're full of healing. They're full of miracles. They're full of light, and they're full of life. But you got to be bold enough to, and transparent enough to share them first with the reflection in the mirror and then with those around us.
1: Okay. That feels big because uh, that's where I was going to go really with that. I was thinking about people who had things and I've got some specific people in mind right now in my life who have some things that are in their past that are there and they have handicapped them. And that was that was where I was going to even dive in further, but you just said it. I, I think you share, share it, get it out right. there on the open. That is, again, I love an actionable step. So folks, if you're sitting with something a, a bitterness a hurt a shame uh an anger uh volatility share it get it out right. whether it's you know you talked about aa but if it's with i would i would assume uh, a, a counselor a group or whatever just get it out
0: Yep, Absolutely. i tell you this this is to me this is the key when, when we have a program called our ziggler legacy certification where we certify people to teach our courses And the number one thing that I emphasize in front of the room is don't tell Zig Ziglar stories. (laughs) You know, what you need to do is you need to take these principles, the teaching, and you need to teach that. And you got to put your own stories in there. And the more blood, sweat, and tears, the more scars, the more I wish I hadn't have done that that you can put in there, the more connection you're going to get out of that audience. Because, like you said, everybody in the room goes, me too, me too. Totally. And when we're transparent, when we're willing to share the, you know, the things that we wish we hadn't done or the circumstances that we were too young to understand and had no control over and have carried some false sense of guilt around with us because I don't know why we had that as a responsibility in our life, but we we, we taken that burden on and we shouldn't have. When we let that go, then all of a sudden the strength that you show is exactly that spark that somebody else in the room is going to need. To take the first step. That's right.
3: And I, w- I would say and remind everybody that storytelling is the finest and most surest form of transformation. I think we frequently try to overthink it with bullet points and everything else that we do uh, in our mental minds to make it big and to allow people to grasp onto it. But I think people remember stories. I think that's what the greatest teachers, Jesus being certainly, I think, the greatest teacher, teaches through parable. Not through bullet points, not through action items necessarily, but through
0: storytelling.
3: So let's never overcomplicate it. Best
0: story wins. Let's make sure we share ours. One of of the blessings I have is I work with a nonprofit called Operation Give Back, and their simple mission is to help wounded warriors uh, come out of that situation and help others. Their three words are connect, share, and serve. Hmm. So I think it's funny. We just spent the first little part of this, you know, seven points here on connection. we got to connect. And then the second thing we do with these wounded warriors is we help them share their story because healing comes in sharing. And then all of a sudden they they join the military for this sense of responsibility to serve our country. And their injury has taken that ability away officially, but now they can go out and serve their own community again. And it's, I mean, it's just a theme, isn't it? That, you know, we find our strength in, in, in connection. And then when we tell our story and we share healing comes and that gives us the capacity to serve.
1: Well, man, it takes me right thank back you, to my first note that I took on you in this, in this interview right here, which was telling your story, the real story, maybe not the one that you have let other people uh, see or told to them. Um, thank you for that. Well, purpose, this next one. Uh, it seems to me incredibly, again, this is the next, the next choice. You said you might save a life, even your own. And I took that. I, I said, I know so many people and, uh, I would happen to be one of those who valiantly have tried to help and serve others while they themselves need so much saving. So on this note that you're giving this, this premise you're giving us, would it be safe to say, even before you can really save another's life, stop, go save your own life first to a degree.
3: Yeah, I think uh, you can't take care of others until you first take care of yourselves. You can't heal another person. I think sometimes this is what happens in education. It's what happens in sales. It's what happens in hospitals. You can't serve anybody else until you first really know who you are, what your values are, what your passion and purpose is in life. And then in knowing that and saving, to use your terms, uh, yourself, then you can go off and make the greatest difference possible. And you you read this in the book, certainly, but my brother Jim was – an incredibly fine example of this. I, you know, when I was burned in, in this garage explosion, I came running back out on fire into my mom and dad's house. Nobody is home to my knowledge. And I just stood on top of a rug, a flame, with flames leaping off of my body, three feet in all directions, having no idea what to do for myself, no idea how to save myself, just praying for a hero. And I see my 17-year-old brother Jim racing toward me, Uh, He was not at all what I would think of as being my hero. He was not who I was praying for, in other words. He was a tough, older sibling. And yet this was his moment. This was his chance to change, to serve, to find purpose. He picked up a rug. It took him a couple moments, a couple minutes quite literally, beat down the flames, burning himself in the process, carried me outside, saved my life. The entire time he swung down into the flames, he's burning himself. When you touch something hot, Guys and ladies, our natural reaction is immediately to pull back. If our lives are only and uniquely about us and ourselves and our paycheck and our ego and our good looks, that's what we do. But when our lives are about others, when our lives are about purpose, when it's about something higher than ourselves, when it's about passion and service, that's what frees us to go off and do the next best thing, even if we get burned in the process. So yeah, you got to be able to save yourself, but it doesn't stop uh, in your own home or your own condo, man. It, It allows you to live it in the mission field.
2: When we fast, we stop eating food and allow our body to repair. The research on the benefits and the reset is profound. The problem is we like food. We're addicted to food. Me too. Missing a meal or a day of eating is terrifying to a lot of people. So here is ProLon. It's a revolutionary plant-based nutrition program that nourishes the body while making the cells believe they're fasting. ProLon is not a diet, it's science based on Nobel Prize winning discoveries in medicine. ProLon provides a five-day program where you get snacks and soups and beverages all designed to keep your body in a fasting state. While taking away the difficulty and mindset of deprivation, I fasted for five days with nothing but water. and My physical and mental state was incredible. My struggle was just wanting to fulfill my habit of eating. It was significant. Prolon took that away. It's amazing. I feel like I'm cheating, but getting the benefits of fasting. So right now, Prolon is offering what drives you listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. So go to Prolon Life dot com slash kevin that's p-r-o-l-o-n life.com slash kevin for the special offer thankfully the days of building a business website then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone today shopify has fixed all that i had one business where we actually built the entire website on shopify's platform so whether you're just starting out
1: That's uh, significant. I love, the, I love that analogy. Um, man, uh, okay, next one. Be a victor. <laughs> why me? Yeah. You came back to the question of why me, which we talked about, and how you changed that from the victim why me to the victor uh, of, of why me and it, re- it reminded me back, I, was, I spent a long time, I've done a lot of work over the years helping people transition from tr- traditional employment to self-employment. And I realized in that, that they had to come to grips with who am I to do something different than the norm, right. something different than those around me, who it may threaten, it may scare, but who am I, I've got to come to grips with that. And I felt like you're, you're calling us to that. Um, you said, you, and you said in that, the manner in which we ask this question, why me, Changes everything that happens afterwards. Choose wisely, folks. I'm going to say that again. Uh, why me? He's asking. Okay, talking about being a victor. The manner in which we ask this question changes everything that happens afterwards. Choose wisely. I mean, again, John, you're you're back to choice. You're back to that. Right. It, it is. It's it's up to us. Which way are we going to go? I, I mean, it, it, it feels like this. This again. This is your battle cry. This is where well, you're
3: at, Kevin. When I, you know, the, the book is called On Fire, and the publisher Simon and Schuster wanted to put my picture on the front of it, hmm. and I refused. And then they wanted to put it on the back of it, and I refused. And that's not because I don't have boyish good looks, man. I, it, oh, I'm the, telling the, you. The, the reason I don't want my picture on the front or the back of this book is because I'm not the hero. I am uh, I'm learning lessons the hard way, and I'm sharing them with others, but I'm not the hero of this thing. And so in, in asking that question, I want to share a story of another hero because it's not me. Uh, I remember asking the question, why me, throughout my life, repeatedly, actually, and not as a victor, but as a victim. And there was a time when my father finally got I love with me, and he looked me in the heart in the eyes and said, John, damn it, why not you? This terrible thing has happened. What are you going to do with it? And I pouted away, but I'll never forget that conversation because it allowed me to finally embrace. Hey, you know what? Why not me? And I think it's easy to preach that and it's easy to proclaim that, but it's way hard to live it. Mm -hmm. My dad not only kind of yelled it at me, but he models it. My uh, my father has Parkinson's disease Mm -hmm. today. He's had it for 28 years, and when Tom was sharing earlier about his father in the car, my dad can do nothing today. Mm -hmm. You know, he he's alive. But he's in a wheelchair. He lost his job. He's lost the ability to speak for the most part. He's losing the ability to swallow. He's losing the ability to fully take oxygen into his lungs. I mean, he is losing everything except the goofy grin on his face and the zest in his life and the joy in his eyes. And so I sat with my dad maybe two years ago now on his screen porch. He's in a wheelchair. He spilt an iced tea a moment ago because he shakes. So I grabbed him another iced tea. I sat down next to him. I told him that I loved him and that he was my hero. And then I said, Dad, 26 years back then of Parkinson's and you've never complained. Hmm. How, how come you never complain about this? And his response, and Tom, you'll be nodding your head to this, is, John, how can I complain when I have so many reasons to be grateful? So I said to him, Dad, give me three things you're grateful for. Just three. You know, for Parkinson's, for the wheelchair. Give me three things, man. And the very first thing he said was, John, I'm grateful it wasn't a more serious disease. <laughs> And then I said, okay, yeah, he's lost (laughs) his job. He's lost everything, but he's glad it wasn't worse. Then he said, secondly, uh, I used to be so busy. Now I have nothing but time to reflect on who I am and where God is in my journey. I'm grateful for that time, actually. What, What beautiful space that has been given to me. And then he said, thirdly, I've always liked your mom. I said, Dad, I'm glad you like Mom. You guys started dating when you were freshmen in high school. You've been together over 45 years. I'm glad you like your wife. And he said, "Uh, honey, he's got a very hushed voice, so I'll speak like my dad for a moment. John, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. All my coworkers showed me to the door. I had no value to them anymore. My friends realized that I can no longer play golf with them or go to sporting events with them. So they are pushing me away. But your mother, my wife, keeps stepping closer and closer and closer. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am to that. And so at this, I am a complete train wreck like I'm about to be if I keep going into it right now. And I stand up to give my dad this big, huge bear hug. And my mean type A former army dad says to me very firmly, John, sit back down. I'm not done. And so I'm scared of my dad still. He can move pretty quick in that wheelchair. So I I sit back down and my, my dad says, I'm not done. I got more. And I won't go through with you the laundry list on this show today. But I think he eventually shared 13 things that he's grateful to Parkinson's for providing him in his own life. 13 for the worst. And so when we think about the ways we can ask the question, why me? Yes, indeed, we can't ask them as a victim, and it will get you nowhere. Or you can seek the goodness that has resulted from the explosions or the disease or the losses in your own life and realize, yes, indeed, they exist even in these places.
1: Well, this feels like, again, these are are not uh, simple things to actually do, but they're simple answers. And so why me? And you came back again to gratitude. Why me? I mean, it gives us a focal point, folks, again, for taking action. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's, uh, it's, it's simple. Uh, well, hey, which... Kevin, I,
3: I do know you're big into action, so I want to make sure people have at least one action item. Here we go. Gratitude is actually not easy, but, it, but it's doable. And I would encourage folks, if you're wondering, well, how do I get more gratitude in my life? Consider a gratitude journal. This is so doable. And right now, I know some of your listeners are thinking, dude, I have no time for this. I got no time, so I'm going to help you find a little bit of time. Uh, Whatever time you set your alarm clock for in the morning, tomorrow morning, set it for 60 seconds earlier. One minute. And in that one minute of time you've just found, come over to the side of your bed. If you want to hit your knees, do it. If you want to sit in a chair, do it. If you want to grab a coffee and go to the screen porch, go for it. But grab a journal, sit there with the rising sun greeting the face that you have been blessed with, and ask the question, why me? And spend 60 seconds coming up with answers. Do it today, and then do it tomorrow. My key to it is this. You can't write down the same thing twice. So the first day is easy, man. Faith, family, health, close the book, start your day. The second day, now it's a little bit harder. Um, Sun, warm water, coffee. Uh, a car that might start. Okay, perfect. That's day two. Now you're into day three. Now it gets even harder. But it, in that heart piece, it gets even better. A pen that works. My gosh, that's complicated. I've never thought about how complicated that thing is. A journal to write in. A mind to capture these thoughts. Perfect. Go on and on and on. And that gratitude journal will go deeper and deeper and deeper and inspire you to realize, wow, I am blessed. And today I will act like it.
1: 60 seconds. I love It makes me think of the movie, we bought a zoo with Matt Damon, and he right. has that, that line of just 20 seconds of insane courage. You're saying 60 seconds of gratitude. John, my wife worked through a hard time in her life. Uh, somebody gave her the book by Ann Voskamp, A Thousand Gifts, and she did a journal with the family. She asked us at certain point, she'd hand somebody the journal, say, hey, just think of a couple things. And she made it a family journal, and we hit a thousand and kept on going. Uh, we need to revisit that again. Well, hey, growth is your next choice growth. And you set in that risking it all. And I wanted to hit on that because risk, anytime we talk about personal development, business development, uh, self-help, we talk about progress, risk comes in there. And I think it's a big hairy deal for people to really look at it. Cause when you say risking it all, I would guess if I had to do a poll that the first thing people think about is money, job, house relationship. You know, I know that from a self-employment and leading people there. That was really, we talk about risk. That's what they're they're thinking of. And I, I think it's broader than that, but I'll ask you for the average person out there like me that we're listening. To this, you say risk it all, I, I imagine right. it goes beyond just those tangible things that we right away go, Oh no, 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 no money, job, house, relationship. Give us a little more on that.
3: So there's a lot more obviously to give you on that, but for, for me, candidly the the you know i'm, a, I'm a, a man of faith and and for me the scripture that keeps me up at night and gets me up early actually and this is not uh at first out of excitement it was actually out of fear is the story of the talents mm-hmm. whether you got one three or five talents you doggone well better better double it and i used to uh sweat negatively when i would think about that like am i actually doubling my talents or tripling my talents and now it's not not risk. It's not fear. It's actually joy. I, like, I can't wait to stretch and to try to take whatever I have, status, wealth, money, relationship, put it all on the table, go all in and do it again and realize the floor is not that far down. I think the greatest risk is to not live up to the fullness of your abilities. And it is a risk that all of us, for the most part, are assuming gladly each day, not living up to the fullness of our abilities. And my challenge to the reflection in the mirror is to be bold. You talked about 20 seconds of courage man, we need leaders who are going to live 24 hours of courage and wake up and do it again. It's not easy. There's a high likelihood of failure. And yet there's no doubt that when you fall, and you will, the foundation is not that far below. You pick yourself back up and do it better tomorrow.
1: Well, I love the perspective because you're taking, take, taking risk, which I think we often think about. Well, like with food, we think, okay, if I'm going to get healthy, if I'm going to lose weight, what can I not eat? What do I have to take away? <laughs> right. and, and my wife is brilliant on saying, okay, don't worry about that. Just, just add some things in like water. How about some vegetables? Let's so just add things in and slowly we'll push the other right. things out. And, and so on you saying that, okay, I'm going to risk it all. It's not what what am I going to jeopardize? What do I have to really put up at hawk? But you're saying, no, what do I have How can I increase it, man? That feels exciting. That does feel inspiring.
3: The the, what what made our America, and I think uh, commerce so exceptional was the ability to risk. Mm -hmm. And I think when we take away that determination to take mighty risks for the opportunity to do great things, and this is not just a wealth conversation. This is a relationship piece. This is a faith issue. This is a service issue. This is a health choice. This is diet. When you take away the decision to risk everything, we are also taking away the great return that can come with that. Mm. So yeah, I would encourage people: don't be comfortable. Yes, be content, but that's very different. Take bold risks and uh, and do it not just for yourself, but for those you serve.
1: All right, we're going to run a little long here because we just can't leave this stuff. We got two more choices that I want to hit on, but still on this growth. You said you made the statement that I think is worth. We got to hit it. Growth is the only evidence of life. Okay. because when you, you say growth, I don't hear you saying that growth is just existent, make, make existence, making oh. it day to day. I mean, I could say, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I, I've, I've churned out 20 years with kids. You know, they've grown. They didn't die. Hopefully, I did some good <laughs> things. It, and you're saying, okay, sure, but is that growth? That's existence. So when you're saying that, uh, that's a big deal. If we are not growing, that is the evidence of life. Otherwise, we're the – well, to Tom, but the walking dead with the zombies, right?
3: Yes. and I Yeah, there he is. He's walking right now in front of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> the, and we live in a culture of the walking dead. I think it's one of the reasons why it's such a popular show. We can identify not with the survivors, but with the dead. That is us, man. We idly, grayly, with broken down clothes, stem, stem, stem our way through life. And there there should be a battle cry to wake up from that death sentence, man. Remove the grave garments. Let's get after this thing. And that's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy, but it is going to be transformative. Growth how do you know that a plant is alive? As soon as grass stops growing, you can rest assured that the summer is in full season, man. And this baby is going to slowly start grain, It's going to start browning browning, and it's going to return to wherever, wherever it came. And so my, my realization is it's not just true in nature with grass or with trees or with bushes. It's true in our relationships. It's true in our stock portfolios. It's true in everything that we do in our life. And the beautiful thing is it's a choice It's a choice to invest ourselves in things that are worthy to see them not only not die or not only endure until retirement, but to truly thrive. I think that that is our calling each day to truly thrive. Don't just sustain yourself, but thrive each day.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. So significance. This is near and dear to Tom's heart. (laughs) Significance. One of his favorite words, favorite terms, favorite focal points, a mission of Ziegler, underlying mission of that, um, But to say significance, and we look at—well, you even made the statement uh, of burn brightly long after you are gone, which I appreciate that. I also know that we are flesh, and we also want— what's going to benefit me today. And I want you to hit on that. that yes. As we are looking at significance and, and Tom, you too, as we're looking at significance at mattering long after we're gone at doing something that continues after we're gone and not being so short-sighted to, just to look on this little life that we have now. But I want you guys to comment on the reality that I see. I have experienced that when I live in that way, when we right. do those things, it makes today really stinking great too.
3: So what, what I would suggest, and I, I love teaching through storytelling. I, I realize we're going through this pretty quick, but one of the great leaders. That, that's why they have
1: to go get the book, okay? That's right. John <laughs> O'Leary Inspires,
3: okay. That's right. On fire, baby. Check it out. So um, when I first came home from the hospital and I'd spent about a year in a wheelchair and was just slowly starting to walk again, there was a gentleman that I met named Glenn Cunningham. Glenn Cunningham, and, and maybe your listeners right now, Google him. Go to Wikipedia, check him out. What you'll see is you'll see a guy who apparently got burned when he was little, figured out how to walk again, started running, became the fastest miler of all time, and then retired. Wow. So that's it in Wikipedia. This is the guy that I meet. This guy who got burned, should have lost his legs, somehow survived, kept his legs, became a runner, and now this... I think an 83-year-old man is walking at my side, encouraging the little boy who also is burned, is also trying to figure out how to walk again, is also wondering what's in store for me. That, yes, indeed, there are some amazing things in store, but, baby, you got to fight for it. you got to keep walking toward it, and you can't ever quit. And so these are some of the things that I learned from my friend Glenn. A week after he left my side, I learned that he died of old age. Mm -hmm. He was surrounded by friends and family. That's what I learned, and I learned so much more about Glenn as he pursued significance, not just success in life. Success would have been him counting the medals that he had collected in the Berlin Olympics or in his race as being an academic and an All-American runner. But he never sat still. He never kind of took it for himself. It was always, what more can I do for those around me? This guy was such a phenomenal leader that the court systems in his neighborhood asked him to take on kids that were problem children. And Glenn had a very simple response to any requests in life. It's one we all should be bold enough to respond with. His response was yes. Don't don't worry about counting the cost. Don't ask yourself, well, how am I going to do this? His answer was yes. Yes, I will. So he did it once, then a second time. And then kids were kind of runaways. would come by his house. It wasn't a house. It was a ranch. And his simple rule was yes. And I get to love you the way I love my kids, which means you'll live under my roof. I'm going to treat you like I treat my babies, but you're going to work. You're going to come under my law, and it won't be easy, but you will receive meal, you will receive shelter, you will receive love. By the time this great man, this great runner, this great survivor, and his great wife, Ruth, passed, this fella had said yes, this is going to freak you out, to more than 8,000 kids in his lifetime. 8,000 runaways, 8,000 broken kids, 8,000 foster children had come into his life and into his family life. He had said yes to 8,000 lives that continue on long after Glenn Cunningham has passed from the earth. Now, this isn't celebrated on Wikipedia. It's not celebrated as much in society. It's not something you can easily track on a trophy. But when you look for significance, these are the things that will far outlive your life here on earth. And Glenn is a beautiful example to me as a little boy learning how to walk. And now as a man learning how to kind of live on how to say yes to the big stuff of life.
0: Wow,
1: that's dramatic. I'm going to go look the guy up. I've never heard that story
0: at all. Yeah, that is amazing. And whenever I think of uh, significance, I think of legacy. I mean, that's, that's the point of life, isn't it? To leave a legacy. To create uh, a compound effect, to see ripples go on—I uh, love that. There's so many organizations, so many companies, so many people dedicated to success. Significance is just one more step, right? Right. And what if everyone said, "You know what? I'm going to take that one more step." What would happen if everyone took that one more step? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be eight thousand. What if it's only four? What if it's only two? What if it's only two? Yes. How long yeah. before the world has changed? 60 seconds
1: in the morning, right, John?
3: It's where it starts. And I, I always think success is the tale that follows significance. Huh. I, I think Glenn Cunningham, and there are various other examples portrayed in that chapter. Glenn Cunningham is an incredible example of a successful guy because, because he pursued significance. It, I think frequently what happens in life is we, we, we chase our goals, and we know once we get there, then we will pursue the legacy. Once we achieve a certain status or a certain amount of wealth, then we can make a difference. That is such backward thinking. I, I would just encourage all of us, and I'm talking to the reflection in the mirror first, pursue significance. Pursue that legacy that you were talking about, Tom, and in that success is certain to follow suit.
0: Yeah, I, I created a quote, and, it's, and it's, it, it kind of goes over into the theology side, and I don't say it very often because I do it in the context of a lot of things. But it, but it says this, we are not called to be successful. We're called to be significant, and when we're significant, success is often part of the package. There you go. Awesome.
1: That's awesome. All right, I got one more choice, but then, folks, we got to, uh, we're going to end with an action point. Um, John's ignition statement. So the last one, love, uh, and you know what? I'm going to read from your paper here. Um, every day we can choose, shut people out or open our hearts, clench our fists or open up our arms. The choice we make can transform lives. So opening hearts, opening arms. Uh, I know for a lot of folks kind of back to the, to the scenario of, of, um, you know, accepting what has happened to you and embracing that, that it can initially to open our hearts, open our arms. There's a lot of people have been burned with that, and they are now, they are closed up. So to do this is going to risk something that hurt them in the past. I mean, is is it fair to say, as with most things of value, to lay it out on the table, if you're going to love, it will not be risk-free. It's going to be hard again?
3: (laughs) Anything worthy is hard. And uh, what I would also suggest about that is, things that are originally are worthy sometimes lose their luster to us. It's true in finance, faith, relationships, marriage, partnership, parenting, you name the thing, the marathon running, baby. It all gets old quick. What I would say about love is maybe this. When we are blessed and lucky enough to find a true life partner and we meet him or her at the altar of life, man, and that person walks toward us, we use the words, I do. Will you take this person? And the answer we proclaim with an explanation point is with love. By the way, I do, I do, baby, I do. And then pretty quickly, man, that honeymoon ends, and the words shift to, I have to. Mm. And oh, cry, I I, I have to. She'll kill me if I don't. I have to. We we take the job. We get the dream job. We do. Yes, we do. And then after a week of sitting in traffic on the way to the job or realizing the manager is not who we thought she might be, I have to. Hmm. I have to do this thing. Or you talked about dieting earlier on, Kevin. I do, man. I'm I'm, going to do it, man. I'm going to eat those veggies. I'm going to drink that water. I'm going to take back the freedom of, of my health. I do. And then eventually I have to eat the veggies and I have to drink water. And where is my soda, baby? Uh, my, my challenge to us is to realize we can motivate ourselves from one of two great places, two opposite sources. The first one is fear, that idea of I have to or, or else. It's the one that politicians utilize. It's the one that the media has grabbed onto and put in front of our faces every day. Alternatively, the one that we can choose and opt into is the one of love. It's the one where we get to, man. We get to show up. We say, I do. And in doing so, it changes not only our response to people, but also their response back. It's a transformative experience to step into any relationship with the words, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it.
1: All right. You just stepped on some toes of mine that I'll have to deal with <laughs> later with that. I, it literally, it's, I, I have an, an issue that just came to mind, John, that I have done that with. Uh, I have been doing that, and I have been, I've been living out of a high, I have to instead of I get to, and it's ridiculous and un, uh, unacceptable. Thank you uh, for that. Ignition statement. That's where I want to end here. You said crafting a short, simple reminder of our driving purpose. Folks, this is your last uh, blessed action step from this show. You're going to get the rest of them by buying uh, his book. Um, Crafting a short, simple reminder of our driving purpose. And John, you cited yours. I thank you for doing that because God demands it. My family deserves it. And the world is starved for it. Ask why are you here? Why do you want to thrive in life? Why give your absolute best and pour yourself into this situation with everything you have? Uh, I, I don't. I don't have a question there. I so thank you for the exercise for us all. To, I'm going to do it to sit down. We we, we look at. Uh, we, we had an interview recently. We talked about values. You know, we talk about mission statements. And we talk about goals, but an ignition statement uh, to be a motivation statement and and yours. Uh, I'm going to dwell on yours because God demands it. My family deserves it. And the world is starved for it. I just lost all my excuses, John.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's the idea, Kevin. And that's what that statement should do for all of us. And if they want to cheat and take that one word for word, run with it, baby, make it a business card, claim it as yours, put your name below it. So where did it come from? Though I think that's the question. Mm. We all in business have mission statements. Every business that I'm aware of has some type of mission statement. And for the most part, they're hollow words that hang somewhere with cobwebs. They're too long. They're too hollow. They mean very little. I I think businesses should have mission statements that are extraordinarily worthy, that turn people on to wake up early, get into work, do their best, stay late, and impact while they're there. Ignition statements are our individual response to it. They are would allow us to become the best version of ourselves regardless of the challenges. And the key to them, I think, ultimately is this. It's not just what you do while you're at work. It's what you do on your way to work. It's what you do while you're dressing in the mirror. It's what you do before you get in front of the mirror. It's what you do when you come home from work. It's how you greet every person along the way. It's how you live twenty-four-seven that undivided life that we all are blessed with. It's all-encompassing, so it keeps you lit up for your lives regardless of where you are, regardless of what you're doing, regardless. This is key of how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And the question it helps you ask and answer is, why do I choose to thrive? In every experience, and again, just so they can hear it and steal it or make their own, for me, whether I'm with a TSA agent who is strip searching me again, or I'm with my spouse, or four babies, or I'm jet lagged, or I'm in front of a big audience, or I'm in front of two friends on a podcast, the reason I choose to do my best is because God demands it. The world is start for it.
1: I would love to leave folks with that question. Why do you want to thrive in life? Maybe that's my, my wife keeps telling me I got to get a tattoo. That might be it because I want one that inspires and convicts me. Why do you want to thrive in life? So folks, again, the book is on fire and it's the seven choices to ignite a radically inspired life. John's site where you can get involved with him, which you direly need to do is John O'Leary John, thank you. Thank you for this. I am going to listen to it with my family Um, uh, and uh, be glad, uh, be thrilled to share it with the Ziegler audience and the tens of thousands there. And I hope it leads to tens of thousands more who come and listen to the life-giving message you have. Thanks for spending your time and your heart with us.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, John.
3: And Tom, before everybody runs, I just need to share this. I'm a I am far from being an extraordinary leader. I'm a sojourner on the way and trying to get better. But when I was at my worst, I turned to a guy named Ziegler and I read everything that that old fella had ever written. And it transformed me from stinking thinking and everything else that we could quote to setting goals, to knowing my values, to knowing the foundation, to understanding the value of mentors. I mean – I'm here because of a whole lot of things that work purpose, 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 purposely and perfectly for me, including God's grace. But there is no doubt, Tom, that I'm here because of your dad's wisdom. And so Kevin and Tom and Ziegler followers, I'm grateful to be on the show. I'm honored to be in your midst and I wish you all the best going forward.
1: Uh, thank you, brother. We'll use that testimony. Sure. What a gift. Thank you, John. Thanks everyone for listening and being with us in the Ziggler Show. I'll talk to you in the next one.